0: You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast.
1: This is Remy Warren.
0: I am Rihanna Carey.
1: My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford professional archer
0: hey everyone i'm christy titus and you are listening to archery maniac we cover everything archery from the hunting side to the tournament side with stories tips and tactics gear reviews and more
1: that, that helped my tuning game so much when i made sure that all my arrows were square i'm just staring into his eyes blood's dripping off
0: of its tines mud is everywhere the clarity these mavens offer is amazing i'm just like spider-man you know on this rock, you know, just laying there. <laughs> belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me.
1: So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant.
0: In this episode Yosti Perkins Killer is on the podcast. He and I discuss his 2018 elk, mule deer, spot stock whitetails, tree stands for elk, and a bunch more. I hope you
1: enjoy the show. Howdy howdy. Yosti Perkins Killer here out of Southeastern Montana. Happy to be joining you, Zach.
0: Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to have you on. As usual, we spent uh, 35 minutes bullshitting before we even started the podcast, and uh, now we're actually going to get into the podcast. Uh, you shot uh, an elk this year. That so far, an antelope and a bunch of other stuff <laughs> already this year, uh, but. I'm pretty excited and intrigued about your elk hunt and kind of the way that you elk hunt because it's, you know, it's, it's definitely different than, you know, the average dark timber cow calling type of elk hunt. So why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about your elk hunt this year and some of the things that you were able to do to make that a success?
1: Well, I, you know, I guess, uh, It's not as unorthodox as it used to be. People are starting to figure it out more and more, but, um, I was, I always had it in my mind, why let the animals know I'm there? Why not just, you know, know where they are by letting them scream around and sneak in on them? You know, the biggest surprise is surprise nobody knows about, right? And I, uh, I pay attention a lot to, how the animals are moving, when they're moving, how much they're screaming. If they're not screaming much, I'll even if I see that they're in a decent spot, I may hold off. I, I like hunting elk that are super, super active. That super super active to me is animals moving around, getting chased, cows being pushed. And when you're inside of that zone, when if you're if you're fortunate enough to put yourself inside of that that activity, it seems that they accept a little bit of movement because they, in my opinion, what I feel is they think it's just another elk moving through the brush while they're Uh getting chased by another bull or, you know, so if you can make it into that breaking point, you know, without being busted out at, you know, 150 to 100 yards in, you've really upped your odds. And, I also love listening to elk rubbing their horns that's that's a big thing to me i I don't think I've ever seen a bull keep his eyes open when he's rubbing his when he's rubbing his antlers on trees or in willows or whatever the case may be. That means that one of their one of their you know big things that helps to keep them alive their eyes it's closed. That's one thing, one less thing I have to worry about, you know? So I pay attention to those minor, minor things that most people go, well, yeah, that doesn't work. It actually does work. It works really good. (laughs) So I don't call, you know, I don't, I don't call every once in a while. If I see a super, super opportunity, like if I see a bull that has just you know, he was a dominant bull, big, older bull. And this is common. This is more common than people know. You just have to, you know, be able to notice the the change when it happens. Um, a big old bull, he may hurt himself in a fight or he may just be old. And there may be a bull that's up and coming that may not be as old as him but have a better tenacity Because, you know, he isn't as old and crippled up from years of, you know, battling for his cows. Um, I look for those opportunities. I see a bull one day with 30 cows. And then the next day, I see a new bull in there running those cows. To me, that means that big bull has just been run off. So what do I do? I get in as close to the herd as possible. And then I'll call. I'll call to see if that bull will come respond, that older bull. And I've killed about four bulls, like the four big bulls, you know, three fifty plus bulls like that. Now, when you seeing that,
0: when you say you get close, what what do you consider too far away, and what do you consider too close for comfort in that situation?
1: Um. You know that that's that's a really good question. If I can if I can get within eighty to a hundred yards of the herd, now you have to be worried about calling in satellites. If you're if you're trophy hunting, I mean I hate to use the word trophy hunting, but a trophy hunting to me isn't just bighorns; it's old animals. Yeah. So I'll I'll just clear that real quick I like old animals I like gnarly looking animals and the older they get the more burly they get and everything else I just want to clear that up before you know everybody goes oh he's just a trophy hunter trophy hunting to me is a little different getting back to it um, you get that 80 to 100 yards and from a herd and you've really just upped your odds the biggest thing I guess I've seen people do that I don't really care for is they call too much an elk can pinpoint a sound to within about a yard from a 100 yards away so make a cow call let them know okay i did i hear a cow over there wait about 20 seconds and cow call again And that usually lets them know, okay, there's definitely a cow over there. Now I heard one mew. Now there's definitely a mew over there. And just wait. Wait. And if you're going to make any more noise, snap a twig, brush some leaves. That's it. And you'll have every other bull's attention in that area. You know, yes, they'll be chasing around. It may take them 30 minutes to come check out that sound. But patience is key. We've called to elk before that have walked right up on us after 45 minutes of us not calling to them. So, I mean, it really works. I mean, that's about the only time I'll call is if I know, I know that this bull has just lost his herd. I'll call to him. Other than that, I don't call at all. I would rather come in by total surprise the bull that I shot this year, uh, we watched him. We actually had him the day before, um, coming across a creek, and we made one bad decision. Um, we had the uh, a decoy up, and all the cows walked by the decoy. They walked right by the decoy. And I could see him brushing his horn, r- rubbing his antlers in the trees. And I was wondering, should I just go sneak up there? Should I just sneak up there? I'm worried about getting busted by a cow, but he's in a spot to where I know he won't see me until I'm 15 yards on him. So I opted to stay out, and all of a sudden he comes up out of the creek bottom, looks at that decoy, and takes off like, like he just – ran into the ghost, you know what I mean? Like, Oh my God. And that let me know immediately he had been decoyed before. That also let me know that he'd been, you know, hunted before. So I figured, all right, there is no calling to this bull. There's no decoying this bull. There's no, don't bugle him. Don't do nothing. If we ever get a chance to hit him at him again, next afternoon, he's in the same area. He's, he's, uh, about a quarter mile away and heading towards the same area where we saw him the day before. I was like, all right, cool. We start trying to go to cut him off. And all of a sudden I see a tree moving. And I was like, okay, well that's him. I get closer. I could hear, I could hear, you know, everything snapping around and, oh man, this is going to happen. I could feel it. This is going to happen. Closest I could get to him was 80 yards. And, at one point, we were, me and my buddy were there for five minutes watching him just destroy, you know, all these branches and everything else. And sure enough, he he figured something wasn't right. I don't know if we got a swirl of wind, I don't know what. He was courting towards me the whole time, and on elk you just can't take that shot, especially at eighty yards. So he put his head back down and rub again and throw his head back up. I was like, man, there's, this guy's gonna blow on me. And, Right when he turned to walk away, I just mewed at him. He stopped perfectly and just focused on the dot until the arrow hit the dot. And I hit him. He was coring towards a little more than I thought. I thought he was perfectly broadside. It hit him heart, liver. I mean, heart, lung, liver. And he went about 90 yards and checked out. But that's, that's one of those times where you, really have to pay attention to your surrounding sounds. You know, if you lose a bull, you know, you're moving in on one. Everybody's like, well, how do you know where they are if you're not calling to them and everything else? If you lose a bull, even if he's not bugling, you know, you'll hear if you're quiet enough, if you're not moving, even if you're 150 yards from him, you may luck out and hear his antler brush by, you know, a tree branch or step on a twig or you can hear him ruffling, rustling through the leaves but it's patience more than anything use your ears use use what God has given you use your eyes, use your ears, use your nose you know that that's what we have to focus on, the senses they have better senses than we do we always have to accept that but use the senses that you do have
0: yeah absolutely and, and I think you know the senses thing is kind of an interesting topic, obviously, because their senses are all geared towards surviving, and our senses at one point in time were geared towards that. But as society molds us and shapes us, our senses get more and more lax, and the learning curve of returning back to survival and predator versus prey is kind of interesting, and that's the learning curve that you see people going through as they get – better at at killing animals and everything along those lines but you know with with you hunting this elk and moving in closer to 80 yards were you you know utilizing breaks in the countries and little draws and valleys and things like that to get closer and were you were you worried about his cows or was he in between you and his cows
1: now here here's the best part about it. He had lost all his cows the day before, When oh. we saw him. He was alone. So uh, like a, you know, he lost his cows. I didn't call to him. I didn't do nothing because you have to remember what you learn from times past. The guy knew what a decoy was, so I knew not to call to him, and I knew if we did get a chance to get on him, don't call don't let him see you don't let nothing you know just you are you know you're not there until the arrow hits some kind of thing
0: uh-huh.
1: um i was i was using uh the terrain for sure he was in a uh a creek bed and the water was flowing so we had noise oh that's nice uh and it's it's that open country that you know we that had water still coming down, which was lucky lucky for us, so we got the sound of the water against the rocks, we got a little bit of wind coming right to us, and we have him with one of his senses down by closing his eyes and his ears because you know the sound of the water, the sound of him raking his, his antlers everything was kind of like. You know, the stars kind of aligned more than they really ever do in elk country. And, you know, we were really, really cautious. I mean, I, I shot him from behind some tall grass out in the open across the creek. So, you know, it was one of those situations where the day before we thought we had it done. And by using, you know, by allowing ourselves to be known that we were there, you know, we, we bit ourselves in the butt. And when we did get to kill him, it was like, no, just don't let him know you're there at all. You know, that was, that was the biggest thing. Learn from the, learn from the day before. Learn from times before. You know, learn what that animal likes and doesn't like. And luckily for us, he didn't blow out of the country. Most of the time, those big bulls like that, they they don't accept any mess up, and he just happened to be, you know, he was he was lonesome. He lost all his cows, and had I known it at the time, I probably would not have killed him because I would have tried for the other bull. There was a bull that took that herd. He was he was a seven by nine that we figured was about three ninety, and. I mean, of course, you know, be happy for what you have. You never know if you would have gotten a chance on him. But he was – that rut kind of kicked in early here and then it died out really fast and then it kicked up again. But that early time, they, they if they, that rut kicks in early, hard, it makes bulls lose their minds. And he had completely given up on his instincts. All he cared about was – Mounting a cow. And had we known that, you know, I may have held off on shooting the bull that I did. But I'm happy with the way the year went for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when you are, you know, focusing on those elk out in that wide open country, what do you put the most weight on? And what I mean by that is, do you focus really hard on finding good water source or good feed or places away from roads, you know, what is kind of your first thing to look for? And then, you know, obviously, eventually all those things work together to find the elk, but what are, what is something that you put the most weight on when you begin looking for the elk out there?
1: Staying away from people. I, I don't like seeing anybody around me. I don't like people knowing that the elk I'm hunting are there. I don't like that. I've, I'm a super social person, but I'm very antisocial when I'm hunting. <laughs> I hate to say it like that, but it is what it is. Um, I love sharing the woods with my buddies. I don't like getting busted by or having animals bust somebody else that I've been on for you know two weeks or whatever the case may be you know that re- that's hard to swallow right there and those guys you know they're just like, oh yeah whatever you know we'll, we'll just keep pushing them we'll get on them we'll get on. and then all of a sudden there's no elk left in the country where i hunt it's super sensitive i mean it's public and private public and private and it's, if you bump them they're jumping right in the private and what i do uh a lot of is I will try to. I'll you know. I'll see if I can get a trespass fee to just get through somebody's land to get to some public land. And a lot of the times, they're really cool with it. Just you know, they they'll tell you straight. You know, just you know, I don't want any hunting on my place. If you're just going through my place, that's fine. Um, that's one big thing. I'll try to get away from people. And if right. Where I look at on a map, if I go, man, I know there's going to be elk in there. I know there's 10 other guys that are looking at that same map going, I know there's going to be elk in there. So I'll go and pick an even further place away. You know, I'll go, no, I know I'm going to bump into guys in there. And once I do find elk, I'll, you know, I'll sit on them at a Especially at night you know a lot of people go well you know okay we know where the elk are that's usually not good enough for me about midnight i'll get up midnight one o'clock i'll listen to hear where they are and try to be there before daylight i don't elk can move a super long distance overnight but if you if you kind of have a basis of where they are by knowing where they are in the middle of the night and they haven't, you know they haven't been bumped because nobody's hunting at night or let's hope they're not hunting at night but um that's a big thing that's something that can really help a guy in notching his tag for sure, knowing where those elk are that night, knowing that you know they haven't been bumped during the day they can get bumped a lot but at night you know they're not being bothered with so you know they're not going to be far from that point. I'll get there. And then in this open country, there's no there, you don't have a better friend than coolies. The timber can be deceiving because the timber elk can hide behind timber just behind, just as good as you can hide behind timber. And it's always that one bomb cow that you know you counted every elk going there or whatever the case may be. There'll be that one cow that busts you, and then you hear the worst noise in the world of timber breaking and elk running for a half mile. <laughs> but, um, coolies, coolies are my best friend, man. Coolies have killed, have helped me kill more than any other bit of terrain, timber, whatever. It's always been coolies. I killed that antelope this year on top of a coolie. He was in the bottom of the coolie. I was in, the, I came over kind of knowing the terrain slipped in right on top of them.
0: Now explain kind of real quick what what a coolie is. Uh, just for some people, they might call it something different.
1: A coolie could be, uh, in, I mean, I guess an old drainage, a break in between terrain. You know, you have flat terrain or you have rolling hill terrain, uh, an old dry creek bed. Um just yeah, we have a lot of rolling hills here and in between those rolling hills we'll have a drainage, you know, longer drainage and that's what we call a coolie more than anything. Gotcha. Dry creek bed can be classified as a coolie, you know. um, That's what I usually use and if I see an antelope or a bull or whatever it is that I'm going after, whatever quarry I'm after if I see him out there you know, a quarter mile away and I see there's a coolie that brings me you know, to within a hundred yards of them or fifty yards of them, I'm gonna drop down in that coolie and you know take off. That's that they can't see you. The coolie actually helps keep your smell down. Everything else, you know, so keep sound down because your sound isn't echoing across a flat; it's getting more stuck in that coolie itself.
0: Yeah, and I and I think that's you know utilizing the terrain to your advantage is such a huge part of being able to get close enough to an animal. And obviously, yeah, there's there's times when, when the terrain just isn't going to allow it. But that's the time when you should step back and say, hey, this isn't going to work out. I'm just going to need to watch these until they get into a much more approachable
1: spot. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You got to know. How's that Kenny Rogers song go? You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. (laughs) That's so true in hunting. (laughs) You know, I tell you, man. There's been so many times where you sit there for two, three days, and something is always wrong. It's the wind is quartering towards, or it's you know they're they're bedded mule deer are. The kings of this, a mule deer buck or an older mule deer buck will get up on a hillside, tuck himself and even during the wintertime, man, it doesn't matter to them. It seems like they'll tuck themselves in in the shadows and facing downhill with the wind coming from behind them. So they have their smell is taking care of everything behind them. And they're watching everything coming from below. You know how hard it is to kill that deer? Really hard. You know, it's just they they know how to stay alive. That's why they're that old. You know, they're no seven, six, seven, eight-year-old bucks. They're not, they haven't made it that long by being dumb. And they've learned to keep, keep the wind at their backs and be able to see everything coming from in front of them.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't, I mean, obviously, I want to hear about, you know, if, if you're in that situation, what you do. But if possible, I try and get, you know, level with them on the side of the hill and work in from one side or the other. Obviously, if that's possible.
1: <laughs> that's pretty much, you know, what I try to do. I, I really, I come in from their tail end. You know, I come in from their butt. And I, uh, now mule deer, they have, as we all know, they have phenomenal vision and even better hearing. So once I'm within a couple hundred yards, I'm talking about two hundred yards, I am moving slower than molasses. I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about getting to a hundred yards. I'm at two hundred yards. I'm already slowing down. I mean, big time. I got my shoes off already. Everything is ready to rock and roll and i do sneak, i do cheat with my shoes i this is a good tip for anybody i i'll take a pair of insoles out of a pair of shoes and i'll tape them to my sock and then i'll put another pair of socks on top of that man does it help on cactus god almighty does not help on cactus <laughs> I've stepped on enough damn cactus to uh, keep you keep anybody from ever wanting to take their shoes off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So yeah, that's basically what I'll do. I'll I'll pretty much try to stay uh stay at their tail end, try to come up on them like that. And if it if that doesn't look like it's gonna work, I'll just wait. I'll wait another day, and you know, sometimes they kill themselves by moving. You know, they'll be in the perfect spot. All of a sudden, the sun will start bothering them or, you know, another deer will fuss with them. And they'll put themselves in a bad spot. I actually had a, a mule deer a couple of years ago. I snuck in on him, bedded, never got a shot on him. I got, I think it was 12 yards above him. And he was below the ledge. It wasn't even a ledge. It was just like a little, you know, just a little dip in the earth. And I couldn't get a shot at him. I mean, I could have shot him in the back of the head, but, you know, you don't really want to do that. Um, I watched his head move. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I've, I've had good – my luck isn't always that good, you know. And um, This guy, I had him – honestly, this is honest, half an hour. Sitting there at 12 yards. And the best part about it was when he got up, he walked straight away from me. Never got a shot at him. <laughs> 100, 190 inch deep. <laughs> that hurt. That was painful. I bet. I
0: bet you were wishing you could and I, him back and and f- and f- shot him in the back of the head,
1: huh? <laughs> shoot him in the head. Shoot him in the head. It's all right to shoot him in the head. <laughs> um,. <laughs>
0: They, it's a quick track
1: job. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And the worst part was I never saw that deer again. I don't know if somebody else bumped him. He was on some public land down here, and I never saw him again. Huh. Never did. I don't know if it – you know, you would think you'd heard somebody who had killed him or something, a deer that size. And I never heard of him getting killed, but I never saw him again either. So I don't know if somebody else bumped him or – Maybe he knew I was there and just, you know, maybe I bumped him. I don't know. Yeah. He just walked away, kind of fed off about 70 yards from me, and I just never got a shot at him.
0: I got gotcha. you. So, so as, you know, as we're getting closer and closer to
1: whitetail season. those times season, with, what you do.
0: Uh, you know, as we're getting closer and closer to whitetail season, you – you know, the majority of mm-hmm. whitetail hunters, I feel, um, and nothing wrong with it. They, you know, hang tree stands in strategic locations, uh, whether it be funnels, food plots. It doesn't really matter. Um, and then they hunt the wind, and they sit those tree stands when the wind is right. And that that is tough. You know, that that takes a whole yeah. a whole different level uh, and skill of hunting. As opposed to spot and stalk, you know, obviously. But you tend to spend more time spot and stalking whitetails. So, you know, first off, what is it about spot and stalk whitetails that really excites you? Uh, but secondly, with how wary whitetails are, you know, the whitetails don't, if you bump a whitetail, the likelihood of them stopping and looking at you like a mule deer does, in my experience, has not been very good. So, you know, what are some of the things uh, that you are doing to close the distance on these weary whitetails? Uh, but, you know, first off, what is it about spot and stock whitetails that really excites you?
1: Well, I tell you, um, I think the biggest thing, biggest reason why I've always, you know, chose to go the route of spotting and stalking is my dad instilled in us, you know, you you get to see a little bit more country, you know, you get to, you're moving slow enough to where you're not missing much, but you're still moving and you still get to see what's going on. You know, I've, I've really had not the greatest luck out of a tree stand. I've had deer come right under the stand, no problem, everything else. And I've also had deer come in, and I've had shooting lanes just cut out just right. And you expect the deer to come out here. And usually they come out wherever you expect for them to come out here. They come out there. And you never get a shot at them. Or they bust you in a tree stand or what a doe. Does, I've never been busted by a buck in a tree stand. It's always been does. Maybe because I don't get to see many of them after that. Because I'll rip the tree stand out of the tree and that'd be about it. But um. Those, they just seem to have that sense in life that anything, any tree stand, they'll bust. And I've also noticed that I'm, when I am hunting out of a tree stand, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've definitely had some success in stands, but when you do, when you bust deer right on the edge of a, a bedding area, it's a really well-known bedding area. You know, you're, you're trying to hunt. The, you never hunt in the bedding area, but you hunt right on the edge of it. And all of a sudden, the, sw- the wind swirls. Every deer in that bedding area now knows you're there. So all that time that you've put in to, you know, trying to squeeze in there real quietly and everything else, it just seems that you know, you've put in all this time and put everything in just right and all of a sudden one wind will change everything on you. Those deer may move forever. You know, that that bedding area may not be safe to them anymore. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but it seems to have happened to me. You know, I'll hunt a stand once, twice. I I usually don't like hunting stands a lot because I don't want to burn the stand out. I've also noticed that you're very limited to shot opportunity in the stand. You have the shots that you know you have and that's it. A deer walks out, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards. And I know that's farther than a lot of people like talking about, but I'm not, I'm, I'm that guy that if there's an arrow in the air, there's hope. And I practice religiously at anywhere from a hundred to 140 yards every day. So, those 70-yard shots, you know, they don't bother me much. Yes, animals can move at the sound of the shot. They can – it's te- it's proven. A deer will react more violently to a sound from 17 to 33 yards than they will outside of that range. Reason being, that is their buffer zone. That is their danger zone. Oh, my God, something's right at me.
0: <laughs> Somebody's so, here.
1: And, Somebody's And, you know, here. they'll <laughs> – okay well, it's time to go there's too much you know and and, so, and I've had deer I've had whitetails stand there and just take the shot at longer distances yet I've missed them at closer distances you know just just reacting to the sound of the shot so where I hunt it's it's a lot of open country and there's some freaking giant whitetails I mean really nice big whitetails and Either they're in the thick to where it's so thick in there you got to kick the rabbits loose kind of thickets or they're out in the open. You know, they just they, – the there's no in between. They're coming right out of thicket and they kind of trot out into the open. And, again, I use the terrain to get, in, to get into effective range. I'll use the rolling hills that they're out in the middle of to get to them. The deer I shot last year – Uh there were nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine other bucks around this one doe. And he was the dominant buck. He was the man. And I literally had a buck run, get chased off from him, run by me at like 10 yards. Never knew I was there. (laughs) I snuck right out into the open about 150 yards from the timber line and killed him at 52 yards. He took five – He, he like, how would you say that? About five yards to so like two big leaps, and that was it. He stopped and tipped over. So, I mean, for people that tell me you can't spot and stalk whitetails, I, I tell them, man, you're missing a great challenge. You're missing a fun, fun hunt. You know, don't don't be like the next guy. Go try it out, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree because I've done a little bit of both. Um, I've shot whitetails out of a stand. Uh, But I've also kind of ambushed them, kind of, you know, saw them heading to a certain spot or whatever, and then got in front of them, and then five, ten minutes later, they were there. Um, But I've never, you know, I've never actually, you know, bedded down a whitetail and then snuck in, uh, much more like you do, like you usually do with a mule deer. You know, I've never done that side of it, uh, purely because I've, I guess... I've never really seen a whitetail buck bedded. Uh, most of the stuff that I've hunted whitetail ends was was super thick. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. The biggest whitetail I ever shot. Uh, I shot him. He was. You know. You know. I, you'll look out in the prairie, and all of a sudden there'll be like a little brush pile with two or three trees in it. I'm talking about maybe an acre big. You're, uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, that real yeah. open terrain. It's like a little club. Him. I snuck. I watched him crawl in there. And it took me about an hour and a half to get to it because it was flat. I'm talking about Kansas. Watch your kids get old as they walk away flat. <laughs> and... um I I used uh, greasewood and sage to get to him, and when he came back out, he came back out on what I I figured was the same trail that he walked in on, and I I waited there till the wind changed and everything else before I ever moved in on him, and I knew the wind was going to come back downhill, so when I figured the wind was starting to move for me is when I moved in on him. And I mean that literally he was spot and stock. I never saw him in his bed. Never saw him in his bed. I watched him go in there. I watched him not come out. I knew he was in there and I knew that if I could get to a certain point, I could kill him. And within a couple hours after the, after the wind settled down, you know, we waited that afternoon and, uh, Killed my biggest whitetail to date, right out in the open prairie, 178 inch deer. <laughs> so um, it's it's possible, man.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think it's uh, yeah. I just I don't know. I've I've shot elk in the wide open and mule deer in the wide open, so I don't antelope in the really wide open. So I don't see why you couldn't do it with whitetail, you know.
1: Yeah, man, I tell you, any any kind of spot and stalk to me is seems and everybody has their own, you know, everybody has their own wants and feels and everything else. But it seems like so much more of an accomplishment to me when you sneak up on an animal in their environment, when they have all the odds stacked against you and you still snuck in on them and got it done. That that to me is the most rewarding hunt in the world. I, I kill a deer out of a tree stand. It Could be a two hundred inch deer out of a tree stand, or a spot and stalk deer that, that was one hundred and forty inches. The deer that's one hundred and forty inches would mean more to me because I went up against him on ground level.
0: Yeah, and I and that's that's something. There's something to be said for that, you know. And once again. It takes a special kind of person to be able to sit in a tree stand day in, day out for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, however many days it takes them to get it done because I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd go nuts. <laughs> I'd go nuts and shoot the first spike or doe that walked by after one day of that.
1: <laughs> so, oh, I hear you, man. You know, it, 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 it's fun. You know, you blow a stalk. I mean, the good thing about antelope. And I don't mean to say it practice on antelope because they're you know they're not as special of an animal. Every animal is special to me. Every if it's a God's creature, it has meaning on this earth. So I want I'd like to say that before I get on to this next sentence. But the way to learn to sneak is, in my opinion, antelope pun. They get you blow a stalk. Learn from it. You'll have another opportunity. Go just, you know, you go down the road, you'll find another one. Blow that one, go down the road, you'll find another one. You know, and eventually you'll learn what you can get away with and what, well, I guess I should say that differently. You don't get away with anything. Practice on trying not to get away with anything. Practice on making the perfect stock. Learn from past stocks that have failed you know and just keep positive know that you know especially with Anil, there's another one down the road there's you know just go down the road and you know you may have a different challenge set up for you but you'll learn more and more because you have more and more opportunity added white tails you blow that big white tail buck out you may never see him again for the rest of your life you may never see him and then, you know, that's that's a hard one to swallow. So before, yeah, I guess if a guy has the opportunity, um, if you have the opportunity to, you know, do a little bit of antelope hunt, learn with that. And for the guys back east that, you know, are listening, they say, oh, it doesn't work here. I, I've killed many. I, I had to live in New York for a little bit. You know, I was stuck in New York. For just a bit working, and uh, I've killed many a white tail spot and stalk, many a white tail right in New York State. So for all those guys that are like, "Oh, you can't, you can't work that here spot and stalk," our people have been doing it for thousands of years. Why, why let it stop now?
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and that's you know, I <laughs> I highly doubt that back in the day. um, you know, like you just said, our people have been doing it for many years. You know, I, I highly doubt that they're like, hey, let's go let's go hang a tree stand over in this tree. <laughs> and once again, once again, I'm not right, – right. I am not knocking tree stand hunting because I think it takes a special type of hunter. I, I physically get bored and get sick of it. So I commend the people that are able to do that. Like that's freaking awesome. Um but all I'm saying is that it is possible to spot and stock or still hunt or whatever else, whitetails as well.
1: Right. That's right. And now, don't get me wrong, the biggest bull I've ever killed in my life was over a wallow. Biggest bull I ever killed, over a wallow. He was, you know, just one of those times where we were like, yep, it's, you know, that time of the year. Um, we had a a warm spell it had already snowed and all of a sudden we had a really good warm spell and I knew that bull would come down and wallow you know there was there was a wallow that about two or three wallows right there there was one that was really getting used hard um I figured you know what man this guy's gonna this guy will come down in here I'm sure he will he went up into this gulch and I'm sure he went up there and wallowed before he went in. So I bet you he'll come back out this way. And I was just getting settled in the stand. Just getting settled. I wasn't even ready yet. It was – the winds were still kind of scary, but, you know, that's why I was in there. I was trying to get everything ready and settled and everything else sprayed down and it was about 3 o'clock, and here he came off the hill without his cows. Came down, you know, just to get cooled off and go back in. And biggest elk I ever killed Big old, is a six-point that went 377. And, I mean, public land, everything else, you know, you just you got to read those. Uh, had I, now, had I gone in after him, that was one of those situations. Had I gone in after him into that timber... I would have blown him out. He was going into this hourglass type of bowl. The reason why he was in there is because as soon as the wind hit one wall in there, it just started banging around in there. So I knew my only opportunity was to catch him coming out or hope he would come to that wallow. And we set up a tree stand there and killed him.
0: Man, that's freaking awesome! That's actually something that I hear more and more of is, uh, you know, people just finding <clears throat> whether it's, you know, a little saddle or a really good travel quarter for elk or a wallow or a regular old watering hole or <clears throat> or just a bench that they usually walk on. I hear of quite a few people shooting elk out of a tree stand and typically, you know, no bashing, none at all. But typically, is it the biggest bull out there? No, but you know not everyone's out there to shoot the biggest bull they want to go out and shoot something with their bow which is freaking awesome but it amazes me the amount of success that i see of people shooting elk out of a out of a tree stand. i think it's pretty awesome
1: oh man absolutely now you go down to arizona and new mexico where they're hunting water tanks religiously those are places that you know, that's the way to kill a bull, you know, there's not much water source for them at all, whatsoever. So, you know they have to come to water. Those big animals like that, they have to come to water. It's just, you know, there's so much to have to, you know, their body needs that intake. So, you know, that's the way, I mean, why call to when you know there's water tank? Remember, I was saying, you know, don't come there. Um, if you have to there. Um, that, I mean, up here in Montana, there's a lot more water. Wyoming, there's a lot more water. You, you just, there's more water to deal with. Yeah. So, elk have options to go elsewhere. But, um, when you have situations like that where you know you know a tree stand is advantageous jeez go for it absolutely I mean like you said it's not for everybody it's you know if I have to I will but I am a spot and stalk guy for sure I like spot and stalking more than anything
0: absolutely man absolutely well I think we've kind of put together a pretty good podcast here for I mean, obviously we'll have you back on. Um but I mean we you know covered your Thank you for yeah thanks for coming on. You know, we covered your two thousand eighteen elk hunt for this year. We talked a little bit about spot and stock mule deer, then spot and stock whitetails and then uh you know kind of scratched the surface on tree stands for elk, which I think are all <clears throat> very beneficial things for you know, people to hopefully learn from and utilize. So thanks a bunch, man, for coming on today and talking some hunting with me.
1: Thank you, bud.
0: Thank you for tuning into the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are
1: Eastman Elevating with Brian Barney,
0: and Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers.
1: And a special thanks to Maven Optics
0: Six Sight Gear. Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.